Hello, everyone. I am Matt Burton. He has the grace of a swan, the wisdom of an owl, and the eye of an eagle. Ladies and gentlemen, this man is for the birds. I want to tell you guys about Anytime Fitness Gyms. Our partnership with 23rd Street Anytime Fitness just started, and we couldn't be more excited. If you're in central Oklahoma City and thinking about getting a head start on New Year's resolution or wanting to work off the beer and food from Saturday, head to Anytime Fitness on 23rd and Walker next to the Drake Restaurant in Uptown OKC. You get 24-7 access, private parking located behind the building, everything you'd need for your fitness goals. What more could you ask for? Don't worry if you don't live near this particular Anytime Fitness with over 10 locations in Oklahoma City, as well as multiple locations in Tulsa and Dallas, you'd be set. Just come into the 23rd Street location to sign up and you're free to use any of Anytime Fitness facilities 24-7. Tell them you heard about the deal from Through the Keyhole. Be sure to like and share Uptown Anytime Fitness on Facebook and Instagram. Follow them there for updates on deals and other cool activities. The gym is looking forward to over 40,000 upgrades in equipment and amenities over the next year, so beat the rush and join the best gym in town. Join now for the $1 enrollment program going on now through the end of October. Again, that's 23rd Street Anytime Fitness on Walker and 23rd by the Drake. Tell them through the keyhole sent you. Still running. It's a corner. CD. Welcome into a Tuesday edition of Through the Keyhole. As always, joined alongside by Mr. Peyton Guthrie, our producer Matt Burden, who does a fantastic job. We make him work extra hours uh, to make this thing sound good. Uh, we'll always want to make sure Matt knows that we are thankful for him. Guys, it's a beautiful Tuesday in the world of our sport, in the world of our social media, in the world of Twitter. Uh, we started off with Davo Sweeney being angry about the coaches poll. We fast forward to Oklahoma about losing their head coach to LSU over a gut feeling. And, uh, Oh, yeah, Texas decided to make a statement tonight over nothing. Mr. Peyton Guthrie from the place that has the world's largest hill. How was your Tuesday? The world's largest hill? You're talking about Poto? Uh, world's largest three hours hill. north of me. That's, we've, uh, got the world's largest, we've, we've got the world's largest peanut. That's what we have here in Durant, Oklahoma. Now, Poto's a good three hours away. Uh, but no, yeah, it's it's been good. I, I want to talk on the uh, real quick on the, the Texas thing. I mean that that's kind of wild. The voted dread of confidence after losing a game to Kansas. I mean that if you just have the feeling of doing that, that means somebody asked the question. Hey, how hard would it be to move off of Starks? I mean that's kind of wild. I mean somebody with a bunch of money <laughs> decided to ask that question. They had to do that. I mean it's it, it's pretty stupid. But um, no, I've, I've had a pretty good day. Uh, just. Cooked a little pizza in the oven. Oh. Uh, nothing that can uh, com- compare to what Matt had today. Matt, where are you at today eating some catfish? Man, is that catfish? A, no, yes, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It I'm was, kidding. man. It was catfish and a crab cake over at Brent's Cajun Seafood, man. Uh, it was so good. I'm so stuffed right now. I'm just, man, it was good. Wish you guys could was have been there with me. Was that one on your uh, remotes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was there with Sam, Sam Mays today and yeah dude we just they just kept bringing us food so uh sorry if i'm a little lethargic today on the podcast i'm currently it's currently just heavy in my belly right now now also i wanted to i wanted to apologize 
on behalf of myself and Peyton, because we we said there was no way that Kansas was going to beat Texas in football. That's true. And so if you if you did bet the house, um, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to offer if you, you guys can come stay with me if you'd like to. If you if you're without house now, uh, you can come stay with me because I'll own it. I just I didn't think that there was any way Kansas would beat Texas. Yeah, there's no way. I mean, I, I don't know if I can offer a lot of that. I know most of our listeners are in the Dallas, Oklahoma City areas, if, if I'm remembering. So I don't know if you want to come to Durant and have a guest room. But the one thing I can offer is um, unlimited $10 uh, anytime fitness subscription that you can use anytime fitness anywhere. Uh, <laughs> that's the only thing I can potentially offer you. But yeah, I mean, I, I also want to thank uh, Red Dirt Sports. I mean, I think he actually made that Kansas victory. Uh, he was reverse jinking them he for about it. three weeks. Uh, he'll he put that into uh, into existence. It was some it was some chaos magic type stuff. It was pretty wild to see that. Uh, I kind of wish he did a little bit better job on the Baylor game, but you know, if we're running, if we have to trade one for the other, that one was worth it, I guess. It was a. It wasn't the chaos like written weekend that I expected it to be with the way the year's gone, guys. But it was kind of funny how like there was this massive. The headlines were like Texas, Kansas, like massive upset over Texas, and I was like, yeah, like according to the point spread, it was. But like, is that really like a? Is it? I mean, and this sounds stupid because Bijan was playing that game, but I, I mean, I yeah. after the OU game, like I didn't think that. I thought Kansas was going to push someone else. I didn't think it was going to end up being at Texas and Austin, but uh, I figured actually it was going to be this weekend and maybe willing into existence uh, another Kansas win this weekend. A winning streak for the Kansas Jayhawks. I will say, I will say one thing. Did you guys see the – I saw this from Derek House on, on Twitter, um, the screen grab from – pardon the interruption – uh, Michael, oh, Wilbon I did see them. this. Michael Wilbon. They were talking about Texas and Oklahoma. This <laughs> literally at the bottom of the lower third, it says "worst loss: Texas or Oklahoma." Michael yeah, Wilbon it, uh, said it was. Uh, he said it was uh, Oklahoma. Really? He went off. He went on a rant about Lincoln Riley. We'll get into yeah, all this uh, later. Yeah, I, I listened to the Tony Kornheiser show. Every single day, Uncle Tony. He's my hats off to Uncle Tony. He's he's the greatest. When it comes to college football, he has no idea about anything. Well, even when he was on the Monday night stuff, he's like, "Yeah, I didn't really know what was happening." <laughs> but that's not who he is. He writes. He's a beautiful writer. He was a beautiful writer, uh, sports writer. Uh, but it, it just is what it is. And I listened to uh, Wilbon talk about it on the Tony Kornheiser show. And his whole statement was basically, yeah, Texas already sucks. <laughs> so it didn't surprise them that they lost them. Whatever. You guys know what I did over the last 24 hours? Just like Peyton said. I went and got my little fob for uh, Anytime Fitness. Go get that in Oklahoma City. If you guys are interested in getting with Anytime Fitness, that can get you into any location around the country where Anytime Fitnesses are at. But if you're in the Oklahoma City, Edmond, more norman area go to 519 northwest 23rd street it's over there by a tower theater and that kind of area uh and you go go sign up mention matt's name mention brady's name uh mention peyton's name mention my name mention or mention through the keyhole sent you uh and we will we greatly greatly would appreciate it guys uh it's 
over 48 hours, 72 hours, almost at this point. It is at that point when Oklahoma lost to Baylor over the weekend in kind of a – not surprising that they lost, I don't think, um, to get some final thoughts before we move on from it. Um, but it was surprising in the way that they lost. And uh, I wanted to kind of debunk one thing first. Okay, the offensive game plan wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Getting to rewatch the game, uh, they just there was a handful of missed blocks. There was a handful of missed assignments, which led to rushers coming through. And then when things were going well, guys, uh, the, it was on the quarterback for not getting the ball out or making a bad read or whatever. It was, uh, as Lincoln Riley likes to say, and I, I do kind of like this phrase, a lot of 10-man football. That 11th guy just messes up that one play, really just kind of limits what you can do. Uh, a sec, a first down run that should have gone for 10, 11, 12 goes for six, you know, like things like that. And so, yeah, I, I think that Peyton bef- kind of throw it over to you to maybe get some final thoughts and at least the offense here. But that was at least kind of the main thing that I took away was that the game plan uh, actually wasn't as bad as I thought it was this the everything else and yeah i think that it falls on leak and riley's shoulders of the lack of execution as well yeah i mean the, the game plan is only as good as it can be executed so I, I, that's my general belief of it so we can think we can theory craft and say well if caleb williams was a three-year starter this game plan would have been amazing but he's not I mean, that's his kind of issue there. So, I mean, to me, the game plan was a bit wishy-washy. I'll disagree with you there for a little bit. Maybe on the conceptual level, the game plan attacked Baylor where it should have. But it's only, you know, I mean, plans only work as well as you can execute them. So, I know it kind of makes it to where you're kind of, you know, doing this stuff left-handed as you're trying to do things. But you're just watching this stuff happen and you're not seeing a lot of free yards. I think we mentioned on the post game, but you're not really seeing a lot of free yards or maybe Caleb was just missing them. But the thing that really hits me home hard is, is just the lack of creativity in the run game. Uh, that's something that kind of bothers me um, to a degree, because the, if you really look at the thing we talked about a lot in the post game show is basically the quarterbacks. They couldn't find any open uh, the wide receivers, I mean, if the, if the wide receivers don't have nine drops, it's probably a much different game <laughs> or however many drops they had. It's probably a much different game as well, but you have to help your young quarterback out and you have to be stubborn by trying to help your young quarterback or help your young quarterback out. And that's just running the football. And I think it was there more than Riley wanted to be there. Uh, but I do think Riley, as, as we've seen for the last five years now, gets very, very frustrated if somebody tells him, you will not throw over us. And I think he just keeps trying to do it uh, instead of trying to ground them down. How well that would, have, would that have exceeded? I'm, I'm not for sure, but um, we do know how what he tried, how it worked out. So, I mean, we've got hindsight on there, and we've got, you know, conceptual of looking at who was open, who wasn't open, but you've got a quarterback who's not quite seen the full field yet. So I, I'm just not for sure how confident I am with that game plan looking back at it. So defensively, uh, as I said, just come wrap up some final thoughts here. Uh, I thought it was worse than kind of what the score said. I know you were also kind of big into this scoring opportunities are very important, whether like a team gets those points or not, like uh, allowing a team to get 
a scoring opportunity, which is getting into the four, plus 40, uh, the 40-yard line of an opponent is considered a scoring opportunity. Baylor did that four times. I, I think they came, Peyton, I think they came away with uh, seven points or four times when they didn't score or didn't, mm-hmm. I think they didn't score at all. Uh, sorry to kind of, that was some word salad there, but four scoring opportunities. I don't think they scored on e- any of them. Um, you have an interception, you have uh, the fumble, you have the two missed field goals and a fourth down. So four of those five, um, whatever it may be, uh, though that didn't happen. Bohannon was um, like, I don't know how to label this other than like, I think that was one of the worst games he's played from a passing perspective all season. And that could be a lot of what Oklahoma does. Yeah, and it could have yeah. been, it could have been more of what Oklahoma did. Uh, and kind of my final thing here is that again, I, you guys have seen this and I've alluded, I alluded to it on Sunday. I alluded to it all week last week. Um, teams continue to find what other teams do well against Oklahoma and just continue to go to that well. And so it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how like they react this week. Alex Grinch talked today. I didn't read much of, you know, what he said, but I'm sure we'll dive more into kind of the weeds of that on Thursday, but just Peyton, some final thoughts on the defense. I mean, I think Woody being back obviously made a difference. The, the, you know, the passing was there. He was locking some, some stuff down. He was a bit over-aggressive in, in the run game as well. I mean, trying to fill some gaps and try to fill some lanes. He missed some stuff there. But uh, I think him being on the back end of it kind of shackled failure to a certain degree in the, in the passing game. Um, I know that one play that Osamoa had where he read the, he read the run key first and then jetted back to cover the, the crosser, which allowed the safety to come up and make the pick. I mean, that was – a beautiful display of, of, of linebacker play. Um, one of the few spots, I mean, just as from a layman's term that I really saw, I thought the linebackers were kind of over pursuing a couple bits, kind of leaving some back end stuff open. Um, but that's just me from like a mouth breather caveman football fan. So, I mean, uh, if, if you guys want to learn more, right. I mean, follow, follow Keegan. I mean, he's got it five bucks. I mean, you're listening to us. You can read what I'm writing. Keegan's, Keegan's got the film tape down on lock. I mean, he's got the all 22 supply. You know, I mean, he's not quite uh, tapping the blood bank, but uh, we're getting close there with some of our predictions uh, based on some of the stats and stuff he's pulling in. We're get, it's getting there. We're we're uh, big dad is having a down year, Peyton, and we're, we will rise again um, at some point. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Around. Well, yeah, it's what Bill Conley was talking about on the, on the data stuff. I mean, the Vegas spread is just S&P, S&P plus injury adjusted. <laughs> yeah, I saw, they I just, saw they just use that. his thing. They just he was and he was on the solid verbal talking about it. And they they said like, what happens now that Vegas seems to be using your stuff? And he said he's gotten books talk to him saying like, yeah, we anytime you we adjust lines based on S and P plus, which is wild. I mean that that's happened. That's I mean, when he you was know just doing mean. that on an Excel sheet. Yeah, he's just posting that on like a Google sheet ten years ago or seven years ago. As Peyton said, yes, I have the offense and defense both broken down. You can get that on our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Uh, didn't go through every play on defense, but there were a lot. Uh, offensively, I went through almost every single play. Um, so you can go check that out to hear more of what we were talking about just a second ago. Peyton, this is something that I think we both, I was going to bring this up at some point um, on this podcast, and you brought it up as an idea to kind of go to off the top here. Uh where Oklahoma goes from here. And it's a, it's an, it's an intriguing place. Um, I think the first thing I wanted to get to is that if they don't get off the mat and they feel sorry for themselves, Iowa state's going to come into town this weekend and kick the shit out of them. Maybe not by scoring margin, but. 
Yeah, I I think where OU goes from here, as a as Matt knows, uh, I'm, I'm going to use a, a Dukey reference. Coach K loves losing a game early because then it becomes okay. Now we can build from this. Now we can start coaching. Now players start listening. Uh, college football, you really can't do that because if you lose, you know, I, I think the playoff has kind of ruined the ability to enjoy college football to a certain degree. Um, Cause the moment you lose, everyone just tunes off. It's like, well, I have no chance now the team's done. It's over. It's whatever. But I think that if the team ever finally, because they kept winning, they kept just, I'm sure the coaches were saying, guys, you have to listen to us. And they're like, yeah, sure. I mean, but we're winning. Um, and now they finally have some reference there. I mean, I, I, I I'm pretty sure coach K has, has kind of said that stuff out loud to, to on stuff before Matt, can you, has he said something like that before? He probably has. It's just, and especially with the way they recruit, he probably wants, I think it's more John Calipari. I think John Calipari yes. really likes it yeah. because his teams, I mean, we know all the one and dones that they always get. He wants them to know that, Hey, no, you're not that good. You need to, you need to, you know, take a, take a few licks early in the season to uh, kind of check that ego and listen to me a little bit. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, the tournament allows you to do. It allows you to schedule tough, allows you to lose a game. And that is why we have to move to 12 teams. (laughs) Allow teams to not be afraid. Allow them to try some stuff. That's my personal opinion. More teams in the dance, the better. So I I think like one of my big things here about just moving forward, if you're Oklahoma, one, have to stick with 13. Have to. Oh, for sure. Um, I don't get me wrong. I, I think Spencer still showed some things from like using his eyes against Baylor that for me, kind of moving forward for his evaluation, heading into wherever he goes after this year, like makes me still feel comfortable about where I was at with him uh, before he uh, started blaming everyone else in the Cotton Bowl. Um, Caleb showed enough to me that he still like the work and it's a work in progress, right? Like you mentioned a second ago, if he's a junior, a 20, you know, he's got 20 starts under his belt. Like, I think that game looks a lot different on Saturday. And I think one of the big things that I point to is that he did besides locking into a one-on-one too long on a third and 24, he got his eyes in the right place. He got over the middle of the field. Marvin Mims was coming open behind it. And he just didn't have the confidence yet to make that throw. And that will come with time. It was, the throw, it, it was almost the same concept, Peyton, that early in the year, second game, third game for the Packers after people were just shitting on Rodgers for like literally like 10, 14 days, but not the last 10 to 14 days, but um, early on in the season. Um, he made a throw on like a third and 20. The team just got behind. It was like a one-minute drive, no timeouts. He just let it rip because Devontae Adams is behind the second level of the defense and he trusts his guy to be in the right place at the right time. That's going to come. And, and I feel confident that Caleb is working towards getting there. And I think you can see it in film. That's my, that's one of my main things is like, I, I think we've seen enough that I'm willing to let him go through what he went through again against Baylor. If it happens against Iowa state, if it happens against Oklahoma state, as long as he's not hurt, I'm comfortable with seeing him go through growing pains through the game. Yeah. And just look at the, on the, on the post I wrote on Monday, um, if you look at the last 21 years of OU football, OU averages in the first 10 games, 8.3 wins. I mean, so historic from the last, you know, in, in modern, in this modern day generation of OU football, 
this team is ahead of schedule record wise. So I don't think it's anything that it is kind of wild, like one win and we're burning down the bridges and we're, and we're firing people. And we may talk about that a little bit later about some potential changes that may need to happen. Um, but just on the record side of it, if you're just going to do look at the, the stat, if you're going to do like a stat box uh, look at type thing, the team is pretty much more or less where they would have been in almost any other year uh, sitting at nine and one. One of the things you wanted to touch on was about the run game. Um, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I, Peyton, I hate to kind of go back and use Lincoln against himself here, which you know I love to do, but – in 2019, in the Big 12 Championship game, I think I brought this up last week, they went from running counter and Jalen Petrie. In 2019, Jalen Petrie was still around. Jalen Petrie and those guys were just taking guys' knees out. The guys that were pulling, the guards and the tackles, they were just completely wiping them out of the play in Waco, and it just killed any of the running game that Oklahoma had. So in the Big 12 Championship game, Lincoln said, screw that. We're just going to run zone the entire game. And it's like – oh my God, I have a center that's one of the most athletic centers in the, in the history of the NFL draft. Yeah, I'm going to let him just continue to work and use his athleticism. Uh, there's a play I broke down whenever you guys get to the offensive tape. There's a play I broke down with Creed Humphrey, heard with Andrew Rame in the zone game where he knocks one of Baylor's big defensive tackles to the ground, pancakes him and then still gets to the second level and takes out the linebacker. Now the run only goes for five or six yards. Uh, by the way, shout out Andrew Rame. I thought you were going to die last week. Uh, you were Oklahoma's best <laughs> offensive lineman by a long margin, the best game that he's played in an Oklahoma uniform. And that's something that you can build on. I feel a lot better <laughs> about the line next year now after that Baylor game than I did way before. Um, but to your point, I do think maybe not necessarily like – the creativity, like, you know, say what you want about the NFL game. The NFL game is very basic. Everybody runs zone schemes over gap schemes because the athletes are just so much better. Um, I kind of want to see them simplify it, Peyton. I, I could see that. I could see you simplifying that. And, and the play you just mentioned is some of the stuff I was seeing during the game, the live watch of it, is that that five to six yards was there to be had. The issue is Lincoln Riley is – you know, he's like a Blitzkrieg uh, play caller. I mean, he wants to bomb you. He wants he wants 21 to zero as fast as possible. And I just don't think he ha he has it in him to say, okay, we're going to take these five and six yards over and over and over again and just keep getting first downs and keep churning it out, and eventually you're going to get tired. Maybe that's a lack of confidence in the offensive line. I mean, to me, Baylor is probably the best game they've had this year. They yeah, that that may sound weird just because how limited the uh, opponent adjustment was. That. Opponent, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. Because yeah, they only have like I'm with 200 you. yards or whatever. But Caleb was standing back there. They, now, anytime Kennedy tried to get to the edge, it just wasn't happening. Um, which is what it is. I mean, uh, this is a defense, and I, I think I've talked to Brady about it before. For, so I, I'll try to break it down as best I can, as simply as I can. Spread defenses are built now to. This is going to sound dumb. Spread defenses are built now to stop spread offenses, obviously. Spread offenses, um, they knew that spread, the past defenses were setting soft edges because they're trying to cover the A-gap, and so you could run off tackle on them. Now these guys are sitting on that soft tackle stuff, off the off tackle stuff, and they're bringing these athletes in. Safeties are coming down. They're hitting those edges super hard. 
teams just don't like running up the A gaps uh, and the B gaps as much anymore. Uh, and so it's just kind of a, a mixture there. OU was a hardcore team by setting their own edges and setting on those counter stuff, getting that outside. And these, these teams are just flooding those edges anytime that movement's happening. So uh, some stuff I would like to see, I know, we're, I know we're talking about basic down, but OU has a mobile quarterback and they did it with Kyler. They did it with Jalen. They'd run that GT stuff, but um, the QB would keep it the other side and basically run a counter off the counter. I mean, there's things they could have done uh, that I would have loved to see in the QB run game that just was not there. And I think that could really get OU over the hump of this current ceiling, this kind of, kind of current uh, rut that they're in. So I want to hit on something that you just said there, because I think it's important. It's not just the offensive line we're talking about here because he's had a great year. One of the more surprising better off seasons looks great physically, uh, but Braden Willis blew four blocks on Saturday. Oh yes. Yep. He was and, doing that early on in the season too. He was getting blown back in Tulane game, the Nebraska game. I mean, he's, he's as a blocker. He, I thought he was going to be like the standard when it came to that H back unit, but he is, it's been a little more hit or miss with him, honestly. Through the Keyhole is brought to you by Uptown Anytime Fitness. That is Anytime Fitness on 23rd and Walker. The best gym in Oklahoma City, if you ask me. And I know that for a fact because I've been using it for just about two years and I couldn't love it anymore. Perfect size, perfect amount of equipment. And we're even getting $40,000 upgraded equipment over the next few months, so we're excited for that. But it's not too big, it's not too small, it's not intimidating. So for first-time gym users or, you know, if you're out there getting closer and closer to the new year and you're thinking about New Year's resolutions, new fitness goals, yeah, this gym is not intimidating. There's never a, a ton of people inside at any point during the day, so you never have to wait for your equipment. It's just the best place, in my opinion, to be if you're just trying to improve yourself in one way or another. And the new owner, Garrett, is awesome, very personable, very helpful, and wants to help you guys out as much as possible. So for the month of October, they're doing a dollar membership sign-up fee. Again, it's a dollar membership sign-up fee for the month of October. Just let them know that you heard about this deal from Through the Keyhole or just from me. Maybe you'll run into me and you can make fun of me. But again, there are about a 1,000 Anytime Fitnesses across the map. So if you don't necessarily live around Uptown OKC, you can just come up here, sign up with this gym with Garrett, and then you're able to use any of Anytime Fitness's facilities. There are a ton in the metro. There's a few in Edmond. There's a few in Tulsa. I was just in Dallas a few weeks ago and used an Anytime Fitness in Seagaville, Anytime Fitness in Kaufman. So even if you travel consistently, Anytime Fitness will still be there to help you achieve your fitness goals. And hey, if you are perfectly fine with how you feel, how you look, all those things, that's fine. But just help us out here at Through the Keyhole and go ahead and like Uptown Anytime Fitness on Facebook and Instagram. Give them a follow. We will greatly appreciate that. My last piece on the whole, where does OU go with this? Peyton, uh, do they they self-scout themselves? Well, I'm not for sure, honestly, because they keep trying out the same stuff. I mean, they've got all these tendencies that they keep getting hit over and over and over with. But I, I think, and I'll touch on it again, I think Lincoln is just such a – he understands the, the variance of this team and understands the physical capabilities of this team. And that's why I'm kind of upset he pulled uh, Williams when he did, unless Williams just couldn't hold on to the football, uh, period. But he knows that, hey – He's kind of a poker mentality. He's like, I only have to hit on, you know, 33% of this stuff and I'm going to cover my bet. Like that's all I got to do. And so he kind of knows that and he's kind of going into it. Um, 
And he knows with Williams, it's, it's a higher variance of success versus failure. And who cares about the failure if you're hitting successes? Because usually a failure is like an incomplete pass. Oh, we have to punt or it's an interception that happened 40 yards down the field. It's not really that big a deal in today's game with everyone going for fourth downs, as you've mentioned over and over again, or people uh, constantly going for two points or passing on field goals. It's about including a higher chance of success. Uh, and, and I think that's where Lincoln is as a play caller, and as a coach right now. He's just trying to add as much of a chance for success at a high level. And I think like the $1, $2 annies aren't quite uh, appeasing to him. No, and yeah, I was more focused even on the defense there. But to your point, I mean, even offensively, yeah. I mean, they they don't like – again, this sounds really stupid, but, you know, you guys kind of saw it. In breaking down Baylor ahead of the game, anytime you motioned the guy that Jalen Petrie was on away from him, he was coming every time. And it's like maybe just run a little zone read action that way and see if Petrie bites on the running back because if he bites – there's no one there. Absolutely no one there. Yes. And so yeah. it, it's, it's one of those things. But, yeah, it was more even defensively, Peyton, because I mentioned this in the introduction. But I, I, I hate to say it. I want to give some credit here to Lee Benson from News 9. Now, I didn't mm-hmm. realize I had broken the play down, Peyton, over and over again in the Kansas game and said the same things I was saying uh, on Saturday or on the rewatch of the defense. But – I mean, Kansas ran the same play like 12 times and like eight of those nine plays were successful, like going for beyond a running play beyond five or six yards. And Baylor ran it eight times, nine times. And it's like, guys. And then again, you add that in with them doing what Kansas did mixed in with what West Virginia and Texas Tech found success with. Like it's, again, I I, I think they self-scout themselves, but from – a person that's in my world, Mr. Peyton Guthrie, and you know what I'm meaning, like, why am I – we shouldn't be able to sit here and talk about this. And I want to give a shout-out to Bixby High School as well because, again, can't go into too much detail, but I could just sit here and tell you, whenever you think Bixby's zinging, they zang. And it's super impressive. And that – whoever's there, these – the UCO football coach job just came open. By the way, shout-out to your – uh Southeast Oklahoma State football team. Are they going to make, are they make the playoffs? Uh, I'm not for sure, actually. I know, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm turning on the Google machine right now. I forgot what that wrote. Anyways, my job, what I was going to say is like UCO's open. Like I, if that guy for Bixby would be like almost top of my list. Um, but that's my whole thing is like teams aren't like zigging or zinging against Oklahoma. They're just doing the same stuff over weekend and week out. And now you're going against the offensive coordinator in Iowa State this week, Peyton. That guess what? He's as good or as better than everybody's face this year. Now he, I saw some fire Tom Manning stuff on Saturday from Iowa State fans. I think that was a little bit overreaction. Um, but anyways, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know if they, uh, I don't know if they self scout themselves. And this gets to leads in perfectly, Peyton. We're going big picture, big big picture here, big picture here. Because that's what you do when Oklahoma scoots by a Kansas and scoots by a Tulane and scoots by a Nebraska and scoots by a West Virginia uh, and needs a historic comeback to be a – I still can't figure out if they just have fallen off the face of the earth or if Texas was just bad in that game. Um, I don't know. 
I'm, I think you're right. Like, for one, I need to say this off the top. I don't know the distance of, like, where Oklahoma needs to get with where, like, we're at in college football to get into that top tier. Because Georgia's it this year. Like, it's, like, Georgia and then Alabama and Ohio State. And then it's, you know, maybe four, two or three teams in Oklahoma. Um, so I don't know that, like, if that distance has gotten shorter while Oklahoma's regressed. I don't know. But I'm with you. I it, You start to question, like, when is Oklahoma going to get there? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the question I, you know, I posed to you in our text when trying to put this show together. What, what does OU have to do? Can or can OU do something to get into that level, get into that next level of things? And, and I, I know maybe it's a bit of an overreaction, a bit of a reject here, but I think it is an interesting topic because while Lincoln has been an overwhelming success as a head coach, he is just a bunch of 12 and twos over and over and over again uh, for the thing and hasn't quite stepped over the hump himself. Can OU get there? Does it have the resources? Now, I think OU has the guts of a great program, obviously. The entire state wants it to succeed. The entire uh, institution, it's you know athletics uh, and education, everything is geared to OU being good. All the money people, all the boosters, they all care about OU being good. This isn't like a Texas thing where they want Texas to be good, but only on their terms. And it needs to be the Dallas people who's making the decision, not the Houston people, but, you know, the state, you know, the Texas state uh, school system, they really want to have a bigger say. None of that. Oklahoma is fully aligned and understand here's our mission. Here's what we have to do. Here's what we're doing it. So is OU just tapped out? Like where can they find things on the edges to start increasing this and start going and start getting out there? Maybe that's the reason why OU's leaving the Big 12 to the SEC. They see that, and they see where they are right now. They're pulling in. What's Lincoln averaging? The number seven recruiting class, something like that? Uh, yeah, the I mean, they're, they're top ten in the country in talent, I think. Yeah, they're, they're the sixth most talented team right now, according to 24-7. I don't know if Rivals has a different stat for that. I, I personally look at 24-7. But um, you move to SEC, and potentially you're a top five recruiter every year. And that does change things. I mean, look at a and and there's a, a legitimate chance they're going to be the number one recruit. They're going to be the number one class this coming up year. For like that's, the that's fourth different. straight year, by the way. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, that, that's crazy. And you just look at that team and see how they're built and see what's going on. And the thing is, they're not recruiting even at Alabama's level or Georgia's level. So I think, oh, you can get there and they can start getting different types of four stars, different types of five stars. And you start OU becoming more like that Clemson type of run. I think OU is getting to SEC potentially can just open up the type of athlete it's needing to get. I know uh, I, I never pass a pass up a chance to to bring up you mentioning punting on SEC recruiting grounds, but it, it's there for the taking to a certain degree because they don't have there's a not enough good teams to get all the good talent and if, and if some of that stigma of not playing in the SEC is removed because. Uh, OU is in the SEC, I think the team composition is going to start changing. And maybe that's all it needs to be. But unless it's just get better players, I'm really not for sure how OU can make that next step. One, I've conceded Southern Florida as a loss. I screwed up there. But Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia, besides Lebius Overton and Gabe Dindy, I feel pretty good uh about that now we'll see once they enter sec country paid and if that changes uh i uh kind of on those same lines i'm gonna step away here 
Because as Peyton knows, I, I look like I've put on about 15 pounds this football season. Thanks, Oklahoma. That um, nose tackle position. More like a freaking jumbo H-back right now. Uh, <laughs> what's where, where are we at with strength and conditioning at Oklahoma? Because like that is something that's way above my head, and I have kind of my own coach's kind of opinion on it, but I want to hear mm-hmm. yours. Well, this got brought up to me. Let me pull up the Patreon page if I get this just right. And again, on the Patreon page, you guys can ask us questions, send comments, and you know, I have a chance to talk about it right now. This is from a John Comstack. Uh, he he messaged uh, he messaged the he messaged us to talk about the uh, the strength and conditioning. He said, "Hey, I've got a question." Yeah, he, uh, he's seen a lot of talk, a lot of buzz on on um, Twitter about the strength and conditioning program and how maybe not putting the players in the right physical condition to win at the point of attack on either side of the ball. Uh, and he wants us to kind of talk about it, and give our opinions. The thing is, I agree with John. I think the team is built in a very high cardio conditioning type of way. You see them, they never look tired. They never look like they're blown up. I think Wiley does a very good job of getting these dudes ready to attack and so they can be high-level intensity. Because that's what Grinch wants you to do, intensity, over and over and over again. He wants to have the most effort team in the nation. I talked, I talked about a, this to, to Brady at one time. It's, it's, a, it's a saying that we have at one of our CrossFit gyms uh, that I follow. Effort is a choice. You know, Grinch is trying to even remove that. He's like, effort's not a choice. Effort's what you just have to do. You, there should be no decision about it. You should be giving full effort every single snap. So to play that way, you have to have an ability to have the cardio capacity to move that way. My thing is the team just doesn't look that strong. And if Grinch is going to rotate like this, then in my opinion, they don't need to have as high as a, a conditioning uh, perspective of it. I think you can get bigger, stronger guys out there because you're still going to, because Grinch is still rotating them out every four or five plays. So the idea of, hey, we're in this for a marathon, to me, is kind of falling on deaf ears when I see that they keep subbing all these dudes out constantly. Um, you, you're saying from a, from a football coach style standpoint i mean where are you seeing it from i i think like this sounds again i could be completely off here but most coaches basically like grinch you know wanted these guys to look different so he kind of gave wiley a game plan of how to do it uh lincoln riley has probably given benny wiley a game plan of how he wants his offensive linemen to look and work and how his quarterbacks and receivers and running backs and so like I always kind of feel like the strength conditioning guy is like the fall guy. He's like, he's only doing what he's like being asked to do in a sense. And so I kind of am like in that sort of weird limbo phase of like, I, I look at it. I think Anton Harrison's like the key one, but there's so many examples like I can go to of just being around those guys. Like Brian Osamoa didn't look like this. Um, David Aguayabu's put on, I was hoping, right, that he was going to lose 10 pounds, and I still mm-hmm. hope he does because I think if he does, I think he's got a chance to be a really kind of unique player, not at o- just at Oklahoma, but at the next level. Uh, I mean, Kenneth Murray. I mean, Kenneth Murray went from looking like a head, I hate to say, kind of slobbish kind of big linebacker, but and then he turned into a monster. C.D. Lamb. You know, there's a lot of examples of like yeah. Benny Wiley. I you heard you've heard me say this body reformation program, and so like that. Well, I, I would argue. I, I would argue that the the the, the 
examples you're giving are just freak athletes to begin with. Kenneth Murray, if you put a barbell in his hand and C.D. Lamb, you put a barbell in his hand, they were going to become freakish, kind of regardless <laughs> to a certain degree. I mean, those dudes were super amazing at, at what they're doing. I'm more thinking about the middle of your team, that kind of soft middle. Because like we talk about, you, there's always that, uh, the, the topic of these are the three players you want getting off the bus first, right? Alabama doesn't have that. It's the full team that gets off the bus. <laughs> you know, teams like OU and Big 12 teams generally have to like pick their three or four dudes and like, oh, that's a football player. Uh, to me, it's that middle area. You, you're too deep. You're, you're guys like Ethan Downs. I know he's he just joined. He's a freshman. So that's a bad example. But your backup, DE, stuff like that. I mean, if you're going to rotate these dudes in, then they need to be ready. Some of that could be that Grinch is having to rely so heavily on freshmen that they're just not physically ready. And Wiley's kind of getting the, the brunt end of that from me and other fans. I mean, when in, did you ever expect like a Downs or Stutman uh, to be making key plays or out there during key downs uh, freshman season? So no on Stutzman, as you know. Uh, definitely no on Stutzman. I'm shocked that he has transitioned inside the way that he has. Uh, and quite frankly, he should be starting moving forward. And I was not on the whole start Stutzman train, but kind of like Caleb Williams, I think he's earned the right to go through growing pains in the game because it's going to be worth it in the long run. Ethan Downs, I did expect. And that's because really? of the lack of depth at defensive end. But I also – Well, that's because of the lack of depth, though. Right, right. So I expected him to play. I didn't expect him to be physically ready. But I also had some intel that he, like, put on 20 pounds and carried it like it was nothing. So um, I was a little bit – I was not surprised to see that he's now kind of the go-to guy, you know, behind Reggie Grimes and ahead of Marcus Stripling. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I – I think whenever you kind of look at the entirety of it, Peyton, I mean, Anton Harrison, I think is the key point here. And maybe yeah. when you look at, when you look at, you have to always be careful. Cause when you look at the offensive line landscape across college football, NFL wise, and I'm not making a statement like to be, make people feel bad here or anything, but a pandemic did happen and large humans had nine months to away from personal training in health and nutrition every single day. So I wonder, I mean, Peyton, if not 90% of offensive linemen didn't buy in, I mean, they're going to fall weight-wise and training-wise if they're not doing things right. So, like, maybe Anton Harrison went home and didn't do a lot, and that's why he showed up, you know, this year, you know, or, you know, last year didn't show up in the places Oklahoma thought he would be in. But he played a year ago. So, like, there's that side of the coin, too. And Anton Harrison at this point had – eight months starting in January to get his body right and look physically ready and his techniques. Okay. Like he's got some technical yeah. things there that we don't need to get in the weeds in. Cause I, a, I don't know enough to make full comments on it, but um, I do see it. He just, it's the times when he does do things right. And he's blown back into the pocket and he's not driving guys off the football. And that's a little bit concerning to me. Um, it's concerning to me that Nate Anderson needs to put on weight still. Um, he's been around yeah. for a minute. It's concerning to me that Aaron Parks isn't ready on the offensive line, that he needs to put on some more weight or lose some more. I Again, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I'm, it's, I mean, it's more than just – I'm going to jump in. I mean, it's more than just the idea that, oh, Wiley, he helps him lift weights. I mean, as you know, 
they're dealing with him more than they're dealing with their position coaches and the head coach. I mean, they deal with him through the off season. They deal with him through the summer months. He's writing stuff up for them. He's keeping them accountable. So if you're telling me, well, it looks like Harrison just went home and didn't do the stuff he's supposed to do. This was last well, somebody, year. Somebody's, yeah, yeah. it's true. Like, but somebody has a job to make sure he does do those things. <laughs> so to me, that it's strength and conditioning isn't just, hey, I'm making sure you're doing your curls okay and you're squatting to depth. It's more than that. And I could give that away if there's more and more teams, but look at Oregon. They're in the top four because of their offensive line. Pretty good. I mean, Ole Miss. they're crushing people. I do not think Oregon should be in the top four. I think it's pretty much a, a travesty at this point in time for Cincinnati to be crushed out. I, think, I don't think Oregon is all that well-deserving. But they have a really, really good offensive line and a pretty damn good run game because of it. And you see – and you mentioned Ole Miss. It kind of falls – again, it falls on deaf ears when you say, well, the COVID stuff and this is what happened and it kind of pushed everybody back. And then you're like, well, what about these other guys? These other teams that are doing it, that did do it. You've got to you, – you're getting paid this money to do the thing. You know, I mean, you're getting paid more than I'll ever make in my life <laughs> to do this thing, and you're not doing it at a level in which we're, oh, you can win a national championship. I hope Riley does look at this. I mean, I hope Riley does do the end-of-the-year thing, and it's some hard conversation. About, Here's what has yeah. to happen. Uh, I know they do it all the time, and sometimes it's just a handshake. But if Wiley and I'm going to say Bill too, if Bill beaten both, they just get their just normal raises, like whatever. I'm going to be a little side eyeing the program and like I don't know if this is fully ready for the rigors of an SEC uh, bloodbath. If we're just going to pat each other on the back at the end of the season, give make sure everyone gets their two hundred thousand dollar raise. Kind of along the lines of what you just said, I, I think the other big picture question that not a lot of people wanted to admit, and I think I'm at this point now, Peyton. Uh, I've, it's not like the Texas offensive line room that needs completely stripped down to the studs and completely built up. It's not to that point. Oklahoma is not in, in place of desperation here, but I think it's a lot bigger than patchwork. I, I, I don't think that you can just buy some flex seal, spray it over the hole and everything is just going to be fine. Like, I, I don't think we're, I think it's beyond that point. I, I, if they don't land Cam Dewberry, they don't land Devin Campbell, you know, they didn't take a lot of guys last year. Stacey Wilkins leaves the program. Uh, Bray Walker hasn't helped at all. I mean, you can go down the list of a lot of guys that were expected to be major contributors at this point in their careers, and they're just not there. And, um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know what the answer is, Peyton. I wish, again, I pay, was paid enough money along the lines of what you just alluded to. To, And I'm not, I don't know the internal conversations that are happening. But I think it's beyond just us sitting here saying, oh, they can just go get a transfer because they brought went Wanye Morris in and he's not yeah. ready. Yeah, you can't just rely on that. You can't rely on transfers to be the lifeblood. You can rely on them as like a one or two thing and maybe it's an upgrade or maybe it's depth in there, but you can't rely on it. it I think if we, if we turn our gaze down south, as we, I've done a couple of times uh, during this recording, I mean, look at look at Texas, and they're they're saying they're going to be losing thirty three to thirty five players next year. They're going to be bringing in a ton of transfers. I mean, <laughs> it just you you can't build your football program that way. I think Michigan State's the only team that I can really think of top of my head that's pulled in. I, I think in they 20. have twelve. Yeah, and I think twelve of those are on their two deep that play. <laughs> so I think they're the only team that has done that and succeeded uh, in this level of the transfer portal. And I'm with you. I, I, you look at it and it's at a point with Oklahoma guys where I'm just, 
a little bit concerned. Now, if you you do what we say all this, <laughs> jokingly, I do have to bring this up. Um, the 2022 season still, when you, when you put it on paper, they look like they're going to be pretty good considering how uh, some of the guys that we thought were going to be leaving are probably not. Uh, like oh, one- yeah. Like want like take Wanya Morris. Wanya Morris doesn't play this year. Well, he should be in the starting lineup next year. And I can tell you that Chris Murray's back. He's gonna be. I think as he gets, he's gonna be fine. He's shown a lot of signs that he's gonna be okay. Um, I mean, there's a there's there's a lot to like. But uh, what else? The final kind of big picture question here before I ask you one more thing. Uh, there's got to be a mentality switch on defense, and not in terms of culture, not in terms of players needing to be you know, um, you know, but they need to recruit better players. None of that. I'm not going to sit here and agree with a parent that's emotional after a game because their son doesn't play. But, I mean, you're telling me, and we're not in practices, guys. We're not involved in meetings. We're not involved in anything. And I want to get that clear. Alex Grinch brings up Tuesday practice a lot. I get it. It makes sense. Um, but. Joshua Eaton's a second-year player. Bryson Washington's yep. a second-year player. Uh, Latrell McCutcheon was an early enrollee. These guys, from a playbook perspective, should be ready to play. And Billy Bowman, same thing. I mean, these guys should be ready to play. Now, Pat Fields played maybe the best game of his career on Saturday in Waco. I thought he had a fantastic day outside of one miss, one miss, one hope mess up. Um, like Woody, I like DJ Graham, I like Key Lawrence, but I'm just like, if you can only rely and trust a handful of guys, and those are the handful of guys that have played a lot of football, they need to be freaking good. This isn't, this is, this, like, I hate to pull a Bo Davis here, like, this isn't a joke. Like, this, like, you're rolling out guys that are consistently hurting you. And Delaron Turner Yale played some great football against Texas Tech. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he hurt you on Saturday outside of an interception. And it's just, it's gotten to the point where like you've got to start playing the best players. And whether it's early, whether it's whether you can get them ready, if you've got to get them ready. And that's beyond any any of knowledge that us we have on this podcast. Um, but like I said, like guys like Joshua Eden, Bryson Washington, I mean, have we heard anything? What's the, uh, the guy from did Florida, Clayton Dennis, Smith die? Uh, did, did Clayton uh, Smith die? We're going to sit, we're going to put him on the back of a milk yeah. cart here soon. Uh, yeah. Clayton Smith was somebody I said early on, I was like, if he's hidden, then OU's doing good. But yeah, that's a great call, Matt. So I don't know. I mean, like it's their job to bring guys along as well as to not just put them in the game, but to trust them to put them in the game. And so they're either failing on two parts. They're either trusting the older guys too much or they're not bringing guys along. And that set and that latter one is scary. Well, I think, I mean, I was talking to Brady today, actually. I mean, we, we keep in touch with him and he, he's okay. I mean, I, they keep sending us proof of life. Uh, every week OU does, I think it's like a fingernail or something like that to let us know that he's still going, which I guess fingernails keep growing after somebody dies. So uh, we're still not for sure if that, if he is alive, I guess, at that point in time. I just realized that. Yeah, well, maybe this is a long con the entire way. The ex-wife was works OU. at Oklahoma. That's a good yes. point. Yes. But what, what I was talking about is this is the last year. 
this is the last year of any Mike Stoops player. Because all the quote-unquote good players are Mike Stoops guys. Nick's Mike Stoops, Redmond Mike Stoops, IT Mike Stoops, Field Mike Stoops. I mean, they're all – it's the very intel of it. After this year, the entire program is flushed from the Stoops uh, debacle of the ending of his thing. I, I, was, I would still say Stoops could recruit. He just couldn't coach. And you're talking about zinging and zag, zinging and zagging. He would always over-scout himself too much and not do the simple thing. Would always, you know, put on a defense that the offense was never going to try to attack in that way and then put OU playing left-handed the entire way by over-preparing in that way, but whatever. But this is the last time after this year. I don't think you have any player that was recruited by Mike or recruited by uh, Kish or anybody um, left on the roster on the, on the defensive side of things, obviously. Um, so next year is it will be the telling point. It will be fully all Grinch guys. You know, I was promised big defensive backs. I haven't seen them. <laughs> you know, Keith's out there, but again, he was a transfer in. Uh, so I haven't seen those big boys yet. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year when, like you said, they don't have these five, six-year players to lean on anymore. It's going to be a bunch of kids. Uh, hopefully, Grinch has them ready. Hopefully, Odom has them ready. I mean, I was high. I was damn high on Odom. Last year, I was like, let's go. This is it. And now I'm kind of thinking – Eh, maybe it, could that be an upgrade? You know, <laughs> could could our defensive could could was it Roy Manning? Could could we find an upgrade there? You know, and, and if Riley's going to take this team to the next level, he's going to have to think that. That's hard to think about. Hey, these are family members now, basically to a certain degree, because coaches don't hire people they don't know. You know, I mean, these people they they've known for 15, 20 years sometimes. That's why it took Bob forever to fire somebody. I think he made two fires in his his, history coaching Norvell and Heupel. Two 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 rounds. Didn't he? He let Kittle walk, I guess, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, he let everyone walk or find another job. I don't think he fired anybody. I I think. I mean, he fired the two he had to at the very end to keep his to keep everything together and keep his brother on staff. And you know, obviously, it worked out. He brought Lincoln in, Um, but it's just hard for coaches to do. I mean. To do it, I mean, and like a Nick Saban, he will fire you. <laughs> He's done it. He will do it again. Uh, Riley showed some fire early firing Mike. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Because I know I know football teams and football staffs and programs, they value stability more than anything else. They want to know these guys are here. They want to know they're going to be here. They, you know, the, the recruits they've been talking to have been talking to these coaches for three years, so on and so forth. But sometimes you may have to move off if there's a better guy. Now, Riley's done that for quarterback. Will he do it for the entirety of the program? That'll be interesting to see in the off, in this offseason. One of the last things that we wanted to get into is sort of is the shine kind of coming off Lincoln Riley nationally. We've talked about it. Um, I think it has for quite a while, but I want to start along those lines into a conversation, another one that popped up this week, one that I haven't necessarily been behind until now, and it's because of all the things that we've talked about prior to this. There is going to be an OC available. I again, I I I will I will be I whoa 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 whoa. I'm not saying go do it. I'm not saying like this is the only guy they need to go get Peyton. But we know they're higher. I know, I know. Um, but I think if Lincoln does get an OC, that doesn't mean he delegates play calling. That doesn't mean he has to delegate, you know, much of anything. But that does give him some flexibility to. Hey, Alex, 
they're going to run split zone at you 30 times in this game because you guys haven't stopped it. Hey, Alex, they're going to run slant flat at you 20 times in this game because you haven't stopped it. Benny Wiley, why aren't my offensive linemen getting stronger? He has more flexibility to go check on those things. Um, Take care of – this is completely – we're not going to get into this, but take care of some of the in-house stuff and stop having so much drama um, inside your walls. I mean, there's – there's a there's a lot that can come and come from and be good if if Lincoln does bring in another coach that is kind of like an OC that can help him game plan and basically when he needs to go look at the defense before it falls to where the this is the second worst defense since he's been at Oklahoma at this point um, he can go do those things and so I think kind of along the lines of what we were just talking about of like big picture, like what does Oklahoma need to do? I'm not like a hundred percent go get an OC kind of guy. Cause that means you got to get rid of somebody else on staff. Um, but I do think it's an avenue. I do think it's a, it's a door that Lincoln needs to open and consider when he does open it and see what's out there. And I think there's a, there's a lot of guys. I mean, the guy that's at Western Kentucky right now, shout out Colin Kennedy brought him up. He was at um, Houston Baptist for like the last two or three years. Really impressive guy. He goes to Western Kentucky. Bailey Zapp, a former quarterback at Texas Tech, is tearing it up. Got a senior bowl invite. I mean, there's a there's going to be a lot of guys out there that Lincoln can go get that are connected to Texas, <laughs> connected to Texas Tech, connected to Mike Leach, <laughs> um, that I think could help him take this program to a place that it hasn't been. Um, and it's because that you can – Basically, if you, I mean, I don't miss a day of practice, stop missing days of practice. Um, but you can kind of be like at practice. Okay. I need to go spend 30 minutes and work with Grinch on the defense. He can't, I don't know if he can go do that right now. I don't know if he's got a guy on his offensive staff that he trusts fully, maybe besides Kale Gundy to go do that. So to the point of, is the shine coming off of Lincoln nationally? I think yes, locally from a small contingent of fans. Um, I think yes. And I'm talking complete shine. I'm, I'm saying, you know, the golden boy, like all those things. I, I think he probably still is that. I mean, he's earned a lot of goodwill in Norman Payton. Uh, they've been pretty good. Uh, they're not to the places they want to go quite yet. Um, but I do think that would be that kind of final door to walk through to maybe get some of that light back on you. I think uh, I would actually flip it. I think nationally his shine is still there. I mean, if, if Kingsbury is doing what he's doing in the NFL, then Lincoln Riley is going to have a shine on Michael you know Wilbon. But Michael. Well, Mike, Michael's a basketball guy. He's NBA guy. Dude, don't even listen to him or anything that comes to football. I hope he, I hope he subscribes to us <laughs> and pays $5 to hear me say that. But he, he's just a basketball guy. He, he's a hot take dude now. He, he was – revolutionary he was wonderful for the sports business he helped bring the stuff in him and tony bringing in uh pardon the interruption which then spawned but all this stuff. rising and tanner mordecai and Chandler yeah. morris and yeah. i mean the, the, no well he does have some, i mean lincoln's got some stuff on his walls he will have to answer to but when it comes <laughs> when it comes to that stuff when it comes to the national level national football level i think lincoln is still the same dude because of it, I mean, look what happened when Sean McVay had success for like two years. And basically, if you if you had you know walked on the same side of the street as him, you're getting a football job. I, I think Lincoln still has that level because of Kingsbury and these other spread offenses are kind of coming through the NFL and stuff. I think on an NFL perspective, he's still very much seen that way. 
And if any head coach gets hired, any school, if any school were to say, we are hiring Lincoln Riley, the, the fan base wouldn't think, oh, dang, that sucks. That's not, that's not going to be the reaction. The reaction is going to be, hell yes, we got a hell of a, hell of a head football coach. We're going to go kick some ass and we're going to score a lot of points. So until that starts happening, like to me, if, you know, like, I think Urban Meyer had lost some of his shine because the people are like, uh, if you hire him, you know what's going to happen, right? I don't think that's happening with Lincoln Riley uh, as of yet. No, no, don't know if it will. But I think locally, you've got people who want this team to be better, who want this team to be a national championship. It's been 21 long ass years before they've won it, before they, since they've last won the last one. And I think that's just the issue. I think OU football fans, and I'm going to say this, and you guys, you guys listening may be upset with me when I say it. OU football fans are a bunch of front runners. I am too. I want them to win. I want to see them win. They're more interesting when they're winning. Uh, when they're losing, I go outside and I do some yard work. You know, it just happens. O- Oklahoma sports fans expect a certain level from the University of Oklahoma football team. And the moment they don't hit that, it's kind of like, well, we'll see if they can do it next year. I mean, they're not kind of hanging around as, as dedicated. They're not the most dedicated bunch because OU is known for winning all their games. So it's frustrating when they don't. And I think that's just the shine kind of dulling a little bit uh, locally. And, if, and then if he turns around and hires his brother, I think that may be an issue. No, I mean, maybe, we're, maybe not, some money we're not people. doing it yet. Give me I'm a couple you, months before we melt down over that. I'm telling you, I'm not melting down. But if you look at the – if you kind of look at their the football roster – um, I think they've got five coaches on offense that say head coach of the offense, offensive coordinator, passing game, offensive coordinator, like every one of them have that and the offense still is struggling. So it's kind of interesting <laughs> to see that. I think uh, DeMarco Murray is the only offensive coach that doesn't have a slash and then like associate head coach of the offense. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. They've got that much of a, of a think tank up there and it's still not quite click- clicking uh, on all cylinders this year and, and some actually some the last year too to a certain degree so we'll, we'll see how it is moving forward how much that shine is or it's just the newness maybe the shine the newness of Lincoln Riley has worn off we now know who he is is that enough for OU football fans for the majority I'd say yes for the local minority like a like a Brady type who wants to win a championship every single year Maybe it's not enough. We'll, we'll just have to see. And I, I should probably correct that. I would say a larger contingent of this fan base, the this shine is probably worn off. Um, but there is a very small contingent that would be like, oh, well, if he leaves or goes to LSU or the NFL, I think we can – like there's people that are like, okay, if Lincoln walks. And like, I can't – I can't wrap my head around. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to – it make, doesn't make any sense to me. I would uh, – I'd be <laughs> – would be able to listen uh i would be i would be able to listen to your side of things but i would not be able to take it too much um peyton we have one very important thing to get into uh, speaking of shine and other places being excited about lincoln riley coming to their school uh lsu got is, is willing into existence their 12 million dollar contract offer to to uh to Baton Rouge. i'll say this uh two things before we get off the bat one Lincoln should have said no a lot earlier in this process than when he did. Um, when did when, – hold on a second. Matt, if you can – if you've listened to him, 
Did Lincoln Riley say no today? Uh, he basically said that he was he wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, uh, to me, I read that as in he said, "I am currently the head coach of the OU." That's how I kind of read it. <laughs> but then you uh, have to right. watch it, and you see his kind of mannerisms, and it, it yeah, is like, yeah. oh, okay, it's a little bit better. But but that I mean, when you when you write it out, it kind of looks like he's saying, as of. 1239, I am the head football coach of OU, <laughs> knowing that the contract's been faxed over. <laughs> our listeners and OU's fan base, when Parker Fleming put the not denial tweet on that one, uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad that nobody got trolled over that and, and didn't react, although he would have loved it. Um, Iowa State fans, when Campbell did his, was not, he was, they were not fans of it. But um, yeah, I, again, first thing, LSU was offering a lot of money, a lot. Yeah. Um, to a good agent always entertains an offer that's higher than what their client currently has. Uh, Never say no. And three, this is a business as much as Lincoln Riley's loyal to the university of Oklahoma. Every person on the plate face of earth. God, that was horrible phrasing of that. (laughs) Um, But uh, I mean, he's smart. He's got to have leverage in some sort of fashion. He's always got to have a card up his sleeve. And um, no, Lincoln Riley, I don't think entertained an offer from the from LSU. I I don't think that like it was probably thrown to him from his agent and his agent, and he was like, oh shit, like I didn't realize that they would be throwing that kind of money. Um, and they probably listened one too many conversations, and then. It got to LSU boosters from the LSU administration. And then, then the LSU boosters went to message boards and message board turned into uh, Lincoln Riley's on a plane that a, a Shih Tzu's on. So um, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, so where, where that got us today. So to wrap up here, uh, fan favorite um, ESPN, one of the lead ESPN recruiting analysts of a department that has been stripped down to its studs. Speaking of things that have been stripped down to its studs. Uh, Tom Luganbill was on a podcast this last weekend and was on another radio spot today and said that he believed that there was something going wrong internally within this program and that it was his gut feeling that Lincoln Riley was probably leaving. And then he backed it up on Twitter. If you're going to do it, do it. I mean, good on him. If you're going to say it, back it up, go for it. Swing for the fences. Stand by your stand by your stance. Stand by the take you've got. I mean, you got to have that. receipts of it, though. You can't just say it. You know what I'm saying? No, no, I get you to resource it. But the thing is, you don't reveal resources. Who? How do we know he doesn't know something more than that? I mean, at the same time, I mean, he's probably heard what you've heard. He's probably heard what we're all kind of thinking. Some big money people. Just like the just like the the uh, Texas letter uh, today from the AD, somebody with money said, "I want Lincoln Riley coaching at LSU," and then they had to run down that train and run down that trail and figure out, well, would he do it? Okay, let's call him. Let's call his agent. And once that stuff starts happening, then people start hearing about it, and it becomes, well, could this happen? Could OU leave? I mean, could could OU lose Riley? Would it be? Uh, even possible. I think it could be. I mean, depending on where Lincoln Riley's head is, 
um, it's one of the, one of the questions I want to toss to you guys. Uh, I want to start with Matt first, because this is kind of like something that was on Twitter a little bit. What is the better job? What, what do you guys consider the better program? Not the better program. I want to say that. Not the better program. Right. The better job. OU or LSU? Like, where would you want to coach if you had all, if all things equal? I think it depends. I think if you pulled, like, I think if you pulled coaches, what, what would be their number one thing they're looking for in a job? I think it would be job security. Like in a nice place to work, someone that's not going to interfere. I think Lincoln has that here. He's got job security, I think, out the wazoo, unless he just doesn't win a game for two years, then, you know. But LSU, if you if you want to win and win now, I think LSU, I mean, their last three head coaches, right, have all won national championships. You got Nick Saban, Les Miles, and then Ed Ogeron. But, I mean, Saban left for the NFL. Les Miles what they were, they were trying to get him out of there forever. And it took forever to get him out of there. And then Ed Orgeron has one of the best college football teams of all time. And then two years later, done, you're done. You're out of here. Even though he's L he's LSU. Like he bleeds purple and gold. Like he is, you'll never, you won't find another coach that's more LSU than Ed Orgeron. And they got his ass out of there. So, I mean, it, it just depends. I think, but to me, I've always felt this way for coaches. Like, and I, I grew up, my dad was a basketball coach um, at Piedmont high school for like 20 years. And like, I think coaches think in that way where one job security, like I, I have to know that I'm going to be, I'm going to be here. Even if stuff goes, goes, if, even if shit hits the fan for a year, I, I know I'm safe. And then two, someone that's going to let me run my program and not try to interfere and, you know, micromanage me. Right. And I think Joe Castiglione by all means is kind of hands off, like, Hey, Lincoln, this is your deal. I'm not going to interfere with you. He wasn't hands off on Saturday though, Matt. He was all up in that shit. Yeah, he was. Oh yeah. No, no I mean, I mean, I mean, but like, I, mean, I, like know, I know, decisions. I know, I know. But no, so I, I think if you want to win and get like, insane amount of talent it's lsu i think but i mean yeah. it's, i don't think the talent discrepancy is like as big as people talk about no i, I think you're right i think it's the, it's the two sides of the coin here are you here to coach you know you want to run your program and and you can win you can win at ou I'm, i i don't want to earlier i don't want to make it seem like i was saying oh you never winning again winning our championship again oh you can get there oh you's going to get there again trust me guys trust me uh but if you want to win now and you want to win a couple <laughs> lsu is probably the game to take the thing is you've got one bad year you're out you got two bad years you're not coaching they're they're going to find something to get rid of you and plus now you're like human reputation is going to be tarnished because they're going to be like, Hey, we have all these burner phones. We have all these records. <laughs> you know, they're going to get rid of you. They're going to bury you out in the swamp. <laughs> so that's a little bit different there. But if you want to win immediately, LSU is probably the team you want to go to. It's one of the only teams that can stand toe to toe Bama on, on, on like an every, every year basis. Um, but except you want to coach and raise your family and put the program how you want to, and no one's going to mess with you. OU is the one. OU has made themselves that school because they understand the resources might not be quite there. But even then, OU is a 
Lincoln's the fifth highest paid head coach in college football. This LSU thing is probably going to get him up to three. Uh, I don't think number. One, I don't think he's getting ten million a year. Um, but three at LSU. Uh, if he what he would have gotten at LSU. Oh, if he would have got if he would have gone to LSU, yeah, he's probably top head coach. But I'm saying he's going to get a raise from OU because of this. He's going to be making close to nine million dollars a year, which will get him up to number three. It depends on if Clemson does something with Dabo. And um, did you guys? I'm just looking at it. David Shaw, the third highest. Oh, don't get me started. Stanford's stupid rich. Like, I, I don't know if you guys know that. Stanford could legit right. buy the Pac 12. <laughs> they have so much money. But they're um, they, so bad. Sure they are the Stanford has school. been bad for like four yeah. years now. Yeah. But $9 um, million bucks for him. That, that's kind of wild. Peyton, as a wise man once told me, uh, you work smarter, not harder, which is why the LSU job is, if you're into that kind of business, I think the LSU job's a little bit better. You don't have to get on a plane to recruit. You literally oh, can. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You, you can open the literally front door. get. You just open the front door. Oh, every five star in the state of Louisiana, a very talent rich state. You can recruit Alabama. You can recruit Houston. Uh, you don't have to do too much if you're LSU. Um, so. Again, you, you do have to deal with a little bit of that kind of cesspool that you deal with at Texas, but you're in this coaching profession. Um, the other thing, too, uh, no offense to Oklahoma's guys, but LSU's bag men are much better. So that's the other uh, part of that. That's the other side of that coin. Um, Oklahoma's, a, again, if you're kind of like what you guys said, like if you truly, truly love this coaching profession, um, if you truly love about winning the right way more more right than others um if you want to win that way i think that oklahoma like if you put in the effort at oklahoma like the it the outcome will be seen for everybody to be for it to be had and be seen by everybody so um it's kind of it kind of depends on who you are as a person as you guys said but in terms of like everybody besides lincoln riley like, I think if Bob Stoops had to choose between, like, in 99 – I mean, I don't know where LSU was at in the time, but if just say modern day, like, if Oklahoma or LSU is offering them, like, I think Bob may make that choice as well. So, who knows? But we don't have to entertain that thanks to Lincoln today, thanks to also some reporting from Kerry Murdoch from SoonerScoop.com. So, you guys go check out their work as well. Matt, we did have a question this week. I – completely screwed this up last week. Um, but Mr. Peyton Guthrie wrote us a Monday post, which is always worth the read. Peyton, our Monday and Friday posts are about as good as it comes in this market. Like, I hate to like be like straight up, but like, if you've read those the entire season, you're great. Yeah, I mean, you're getting all kinds of good stuff from us. I mean, if you're- and That's just a dollar. On Monday- that's a dollar. Yeah, that's literally – I'm walking behind you with, like, a cup in my hand, you know, with the fingerless gloves and stuff, being like, uh, Penny, for your thoughts, Pulsa. I mean, I'm there for you. I've got you there for a dollar. Uh, but if you're – I mean, if you're going there, I'm trying to give you – I'm trying my best to do some in, engaging, entertaining stuff. I mean, oh, you football – I mean, football can be a bit dry at times if you're not really into it. So I'm trying to bring some social commentary into it, some uh, stuff we kind of bring stuff in there. Um I'm trying to see if people start seeing some of the references I'm making. Um, one of the page breaks this week uh, was the enhance stop enhance uh, from Blade Runner talking about reassessing and, re- and rechanging things. So I'm hoping people are catching that stuff and 
and having a good chuckle about it and, and kind of breaking stuff down. Uh, but, you know, football is part of our lives. I don't think football is something separate from our lives. It can be something that's part of everything else. So I'm trying to bring some of that stuff in there, some lifetime stuff in there. And I'm going to do a quick little thing here. Um, th- this, this, this Saturday at the, uh, at the game, got stopped by the tailgate, the uh, Brook Street Boomers. I mean, I'm going to be there. Uh, Brady's going to be there hanging out. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll put up a post later on this week, kind of dropping the pin, let everyone know where to go. We're still doing the meetups out there. They, they're still going to have us out there. Um, you know, come to the tailgate. It's a, it's a great little setup. They've got two tents now. They're running two TVs. They've got good food every single time. Um, they make some really good jello shots. It's just kind of, hey, they, they just do. I'm just saying, if you like that type of thing, it's there. I mean, yeah, it's, all, it's there all the time. But come stop by. I'm sure we'll be there. Maybe we can uh, drag Matt out, maybe. Uh, I know he's always got a bunch of radio responsibilities uh, on those days. But, you know, maybe we can grab him. Throw a couple of uh, Jello shots at the uh, at the at, at the station. <laughs> you can go outside and pick them up. But you know, we want to build up a family atmosphere. That's something Brady did really well, and something I want to try to continue. I'm down here in Durant, so it's a little bit harder than it was for Brady when I mean, he was there uh, and, and you guys. But you know, on game days and stuff like that, I want to make sure that we have a chance, and maybe during the basketball season, we can um, get some tickets and stuff. I mean, those are cheap. <laughs> you know, if we can go and uh, you know watch, and you know, I'll go hang out. Maybe just go there and support the team. Um, and just have some fun. To the Monday question, Matt will read it. He'll read some of the answers, and we'll see you on the other side. This week's Monday post from Peyton Guthrie, he asked, what record will this current OU team finish with? Chris Leggett says, I think OU beats Iowa State in a close game, but I think OU loses twice in a row to Oklahoma State. Harry Taylor, hype man Harry, says another Big 12 championship earned beating OSU, then we beat Ole Miss slash Auburn winner in the Sugar Bowl. Michael Sanders says, I'm going 10-2. and I think they win this weekend in a close, high-scoring game, then get railroaded in Stillwater. If Baylor wins out, then that's it. We will know by kickoff in Stillwater if OU will be in the Big 12 championship with a win or loss. If OSU knows that they can end OU's season, I guarantee you they will do whatever it takes to do that. I remember 2011 in Stillwater. Landry Jones looked lost that entire night. I could certainly see a game like that. Davis Dunkelberger says, I still think 12-1 and is possible, but the more realistic side of me says 12-2 and is coming. The tweets Peyton is putting out about Bedlam feeling like 2011 just seem right. I think OU can win the rematch after seeing what they will do. I'm also not confident in any of this because we've been so up and down this year. Chaos. Wander LA says, I don't see us getting past OSU in two weeks. 10-2 and and Baylor plays OSU in the Big 12 championship. And last, Travis Crosby says, I'm not just going to type shit to draw attention or because I'm, quote, pissed. We beat Iowa State. We beat Oklahoma State. We win the Big 12 championship. Peyton, you asked what Oklahoma's final record is going to be. They're currently 9-1. and one. Uh, As a data person myself, I can't pick against them uh, the next few games even. Uh, but I, uh, this weekend's outcome will tell me a lot about the Bedlam game and how I kind of feel about that. Uh, so I will still say they go 12 and one and they win the big 12, but I am not confident in that. I'm not I like last weekend, like I was in here telling you guys, like I'm expecting this, I'm expecting that, but I don't know how Baylor's going to react to this. I don't know how Oklahoma's going to react to that. Uh, I don't know how Iowa state's going to react this weekend, kind of in some same ways. So I, I still like them finishing out the year pretty, pretty good. And I do think that they have a lot of correctable issues. They don't have a lot of time to fix them, but they do have a lot of kind of easy correctable things that I think could probably was the difference between them winning and losing last weekend. 
Um, I think they go 12 and two total. I'm adding the bowl game there. I think they're going to split the Bedlam series. I think they lose in Stillwater, which a game I, I'm, I'm going to try to be at. I think they lose that game. And um, the reason why I think they, they lose that game, because in my mind, it's funnier if it's this way. They're going to lose in, they're going to lose the Bedlam game. They're still going to get a chance. Baylor's, uh, Baylor's going to trip themselves up somewhere down the line. Uh, OU's going to chance there. Um, and then OU beats the Cowboys in the Big 12 championship. Um, OU just, you can't get away from them winning the Big 12 championship. Now that's adding some chaos in there. That's yeah, Baylor would have to lose this Baylor weekend. losing the Kansas State. I think it can happen. I, I mean, it can. We OU was the 23rd or 22nd top 10 team, team to lose this year. I think that chaos continues. The Big 12 is good all the way across the board to uh, eat themselves. And I think that's what happens. Um, and it's going to look like, again, that when OU's dead on the ground, they still do the Undertaker setup and win the Big 12 uh, championship. And then go on to beat Ole Miss at whatever New York Six Bowl they're in. Oh, give me – oh, my God. I didn't even thought about that. Yeah. Or, A&M, it, or A&M. Be I do not want to play A&M. I do not want to play A&M at all. Um, Matt, our college basketball correspondent, Oklahoma. I know, again, jokingly saying this because, Matt, I'm going <laughs> to make sure Matt watches more uh, college basketball, at least so you're related as we go on. I have watched both their first games. They're 2-0. They head to the Myrtle Beach Invitation this weekend. Uh, their side of the bracket's a little bit rough. But they play East or they play East Carolina on their side. Then they have Old Dominion or Indiana State. Indiana State's pretty consistent year in year out as a mid major, but it's the other side of the bracket where they could get some really good wins um, from some mid majors. Utah State, New Mexico State, Davidson, all top 115 ish kind of teams in Ken Palm, which those are technically kind of pretty good opponents. Um, so uh, right now, Tanner Groves. Big 12 basketball player of the week. No, su- I, I, I just want to say there, no surprise that that guy has come in and is working his butt off to be a good basketball player. It's been pretty fun to see. I don't, again, Matt, I don't know how much you've watched. Yeah, no, I watched the, uh, I watched a lot of the first game against Northwestern. Um, man, yeah, Porter Moser, I'm, I'm a fan. I am a huge fan of his. Um, I'm a fan of the Groves brothers. The, the one I really like, is the uh, freshman CJ Noland? Um, where's number twenty-two? Kind of a he's built like a brick shit house. <laughs> really, he is uh, he is like a refrigerator, but in a guard's body. Like he is probably what six three, two thirty, two forty. Like he is built. He is fun to watch. Uh, and he wears number twenty-two, so that's always a plus. Um, but I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I really uh, really like. Obviously, Tanner Groves, the dude can shoot it. That him being that tall and can shoot it, I like because I'm biased. Uh, I like Jordan Goldwire, the transfer from Duke. Uh, that's going to be a point guard. He's not going to he's not going to wow you offensively, but you're not going to find uh, many better perimeter defenders in college basketball. Like he's going to get after it on defense. Same with uh, Elijah Harkless. So this team defensively can be fun to watch. Uh, offensively, I know they're going to try to get up, get up and down a lot more fast break stuff, shooting a lot of threes. So hopefully more points get scored, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm excited about it. I think they could surprise some people. They have a fun stretch coming up. They go UCF Florida at home, 
Butler at home, Arkansas at the BOK Center in Tulsa. So we'll learn a lot about the basketball team pretty early in December. Uh, but I like the the results right now are great. Got to remember, uh, who did they play? UTSA, the last game, like Friday. Yeah. They they are like, yeah. And I think UTSA, they started chanting, uh, let's play football. <laughs> <laughs> meet me. Meet me. <laughs> Jeff Trailer. Um, but – Ken Palm, they're like 250th, 280th. They're really, really bad. Yeah. Anyways, that is your Tuesday edition. Peyton, thank you. Remember, boys, be Iowa State. Boomer.